From Troy Public Radio, this is In Focus Weekend, and I'm Carolyn Hutchison. We're so glad you joined us this weekend as we celebrate the career and achievements of Alexander City native Catherine Burns. If you listen to the Moth Radio Hour, her voice will be familiar to you as Catherine Burns has hosted the show numerous times over the last two decades, in addition to being the Moth's artistic director. Now she has another act planned, which she'll tell you about later. But first, it's the elephant that's everywhere these days, the heat. July 2023 has recently been declared the hottest month ever recorded. In addition to taxing our AC systems, the heat has a huge impact on our health, which was the starting point for my recent conversation with Dr. Wes Stubblefield, District Health Officer for the Alabama Department of Public Health. Dr. Stubblefield also took some time to talk about vaccinations and the start of school, which is just around the corner. Dr. Stubblefield, welcome back to Troy Public Radio. So good to speak to you today. Tell us about hot weather and what precautions we should be paying attention to. So as many of us know, many of us, including myself, are Alabama natives. Uh, we're no stranger to hot weather. But it seems like this year we've we've seen some pretty hot stints, and they're definitely dealing with some heat-related problems in the southwest. And we fully expect for more hot weather for us in Alabama for at least the next couple of months. So I think it's important when we think about hot weather for those that it may be just be recreational, that we be careful and stay hydrated if we're doing recreational activities like hiking or biking or exercising, but even working in the yard can be dangerous. And then when we think about special populations, children, older adults, those with chronic medical problems that may make them more susceptible to heat illness, people need to be very cautious in these very hot days, potentially limiting their activity during the hottest times of the day, staying very well hydrated, uh, making sure they have access to cooler air if possible, um, and to know the signs of heat exhaustion and heat stroke, which can be things like not feeling well, dizziness, nausea, leading on into, into more serious symptoms. So, Dr. Stubblefield, what is the difference between heat sickness symptoms and heat stroke symptoms. So heat illnesses or heat-related illnesses are on a spectrum. And so you can see some mild symptoms like muscle cramps just from losing a lot of electrolytes and losing a lot of sweat. And then you can move on to what they call heat exhaustion, which is where your body starts to have physical symptoms from being too hot. So you, you don't feel well, you may get sick, you may throw up, you may feel weak, uh, dizzy, things like that. And then when you move into heat stroke, the body just loses the ability to get rid of heat. So these people are very, very hot. They can have temperatures over 106 degrees Fahrenheit. And it's a medical emergency. It requires EMS. And so it's important when people are out in hot weather that they look for any symptoms of not feeling well, intervene quickly. And if they see someone who might be suffering more severe consequences where they may be unconscious, they may not be talking correctly or thinking correctly, then that requires immediate intervention, 911, getting them into a cool environment so they can receive attention. And I've heard that if they stop sweating, that's a sign of heat stroke. Do you agree? Yes. I do. Sweating is one of the ways the body rids itself of heat. And at some point, getting that hot and dry, flushed appearance that where they stop sweating and they just can't dissipate heat. And it's very dangerous. 
Well, here we are the last week in July, and we're facing the start of school, and that brings up the question of vaccinations. What are we looking at for the school year? So it depends on your child's history. There are certain vaccines that are required for for entry into school. And if your child has been on the typical course and have had the typical childhood vaccines, they would receive vaccines most commonly before they enter either potentially a 4K program or kindergarten. Those are just boosters from the regular childhood vaccines. And then again, there's some required vaccines for the entry into sixth grade. These are Alabama rules. But I think it's important for people to know that Alabama rules do not require all the recommended vaccines, and they should speak with their healthcare provider about the vaccines that they may be behind or that they may need that are in addition to what Alabama's laws require. What is the outlook for flu? So we are anticipating a more normal flu season this year. Uh, We've had some very unusual flu seasons over the last few years with flu being virtually non-existent during the peak illness of of COVID and then having some unusual and early activity last year. So we're we're thinking we might have a more traditional flu season this year, but that's still to be seen. Uh, Historically in Alabama, flu peaks around the January timeline, but we want people to go ahead and be thinking about getting their flu vaccines when they are available, which is typically in the early fall. Is there a different flu vaccine for senior adults? Yes. um, So this is relatively new. Individuals that are older than 65 should receive one of the three vaccines that are specifically made for those that are over 65. And my recommendation is that you ask your vaccine provider if they have one of those three vaccines. They're all equally recommended, no difference between the three. And if they don't, they try to seek those out. But if they can't find that vaccine, it's better to get any flu vaccine than none. But again, preferentially the ones that are made for those over 65. And your vaccine provider should know exactly what you're talking about. What do you say to people who complain that the flu vaccine gave them the flu? It's it's not possible to get flu from the flu vaccine. I think people should remember that your immune system doesn't make a response immediately to a vaccine. It takes a couple of weeks for you to get peak antibody levels. So once you've had the vaccine, you are still susceptible to the illness for a couple of weeks. That's why we want people to get the vaccine early to make sure that if there is an early peak, that they're protected. But most often, if someone has symptoms of flu. They may actually not have the flu, but if they are test positive for the flu, it was just coincidence. They just ended up getting the flu right about the time they got the flu vaccine. And what is RSV? We hear a lot of concern about this RSV virus. So the RSV virus, it stands for respiratory syncytial virus, and it's a very, very dangerous virus that mostly affects very young children and older adults. This virus causes a very serious lung inflammation. It can cause difficulty breathing, leading to hospitalization, ICU admission, and even death in in some cases. It's most problematic in people who already have underlying lung conditions, specifically in very young infants who may be very premature, maybe older adults who already have lung problems. Again, this is a seasonal virus like the flu. It typically is is a wintertime virus. But thankfully, this year, just recently, they approved and will start delivering 
a RSV vaccine for older adults. This is to decrease both the risk of infection and the risk for serious illness in this age group. There is no word yet on anyone outside of those 60 and older, but this RSV vaccine is safe and effective for older individuals, and they should talk to their health care provider about availability and recommendations. Do we have a timeline on that availability? At this point, we do not. We're hopeful that these will start shipping very soon. Again, those 60 and older should be ready to talk to their health care provider about whether or not they need these vaccines, in addition to other vaccines that may be recommended, the shingles vaccine, pneumococcal vaccines, things like that. Back to these little kids who are so vulnerable to this RSV, what can parents do and grandparents do to protect them? One thing it could be, we don't know, but it might be that if grandparents, those older than 60, get immunized, they may be less likely to contract the virus and then, of course, pass it on to family members. Unfortunately, this virus is very contagious and it tends to spread very quickly among younger children, particularly those in group settings like in daycares. Most children who get RSV do very well, and the older you are, the typically the better you do. Many parents have had experience with RSV and know what a terrible illness it is. So primarily, the main thing you can do for your children when they start to get sick is to watch them very closely if they continue to worsen over a period of several days, even a week. And so if they see worsening, if they see difficulty breathing, difficulty taking a bottle if they're younger, and especially if they've got household contacts or maybe a breakout in a daycare, that they seek medical care. Thank you so much for joining us today by Skype. Absolutely. That was Dr. Wes Stubblefield, District Health Officer for the Alabama Department of Public Health. More information about his topics can be found at the website, alabamapublichealth.gov. Coming up, Katherine Burns will have a new story to share as she retires as Artistic Director of the Moth Radio Hour and moves on to a new podcast. She'll tell us more in the second half of In Focus Weekend, so stay tuned. From Troy Public Radio, this is In Focus Weekend, and I'm Carolyn Hutchison. The Moth Radio Hour has been a longtime staple on Friday and Saturday nights here at Troy Public Radio. But before it made it onto our schedule, it had grown a large following both in the U.S. and abroad. Part of the Moth's success is definitely due to the work of outgoing artistic director and Alexander City native Catherine Burns. Catherine is a good friend of the station and our radio director, Kyle Gassett. And she and I are planning a future trip by canoe down Hatchet Creek. So we were eager to learn about her future plans when she recently joined us by Skype from her home in Brooklyn, New York. Catherine Burns, we are so thrilled to make a connection with you in New York City before you leave the Moth Radio Hour. Welcome back to Troy Public Radio. Thank you so much. I always love being here with you. Catherine, you've been with the Moth for some 21 years, and you have recently decided you're going to launch a third act. Tell us about your third act. Yeah, so I've been at the Moth a really long time. I've spent two-thirds of my career here. I started when the Moth was just two employees, and it was just a live show in New York City. There was no radio show. There was no podcast. There were no books. 
And we've grown into an organization that has now done shows on six continents. Our podcast, we're so lucky, has millions of followers. It's just an absolutely wonderful experience. It's gone past my wildest, wildest dreams, everything that we've managed to do. And I'd always said that I didn't want to retire at the moth. I wanted to have some sort of a third act to my career. It's really hard to decide what that moment is. You know, I knew there'd never be the perfect moment. The Moth is such a beloved program, and not only that, it's a wonderful training arena. If you don't know how to tell a story, all you have to do is go to the Moth website, and you can learn how to tell a story. And You have education initiatives, you have community programs, you really have a broad reach, and you've been an integral part of this direction. What are some of your proudest achievements here? I am really proud of all of the books that have come out. At first, I didn't think the moth should be in print because we're just an oral storytelling organization. But we discovered in like getting the stories transcribed for the radio show that some of them really work so beautifully on the page. And I love it. That's a new way for people to interact with these stories. They can literally hold the stories in their hands. I am very proud that we won a Peabody Award back in 2011. That was a huge thrill. It's our favorite award. <laughs> and we still kind of pinch ourselves that we won that. A lot of my memorable moments are like big scale and small scale. I once directed a show where we sold out the main stage of the Sydney Opera House. And when they came to the green room and told me it was sold out, I cried because I was just so happy. <laughs> but I've also witnessed so many tiny, beautiful moments, like moments between an audience member and the storyteller where someone tells a story and someone in the audience thinks that they maybe had the same experience, they felt very alone, and they suddenly realize they're not the only person who thought that. They come up and tell that to the storyteller, and there's this connection is made. I've also been in workshops where someone thinks they have absolutely no story to tell, and by the end of the week, they realize they have a story that's so beautiful that everyone in the workshop wants to hear. And one of our most treasured moments was when the moth came to the Alabama Shakespeare Festival, and we got to meet <laughs> and share the moth with your fans across the Troy Public Radio coverage area, Alabama, Georgia, Florida. And you always support us. Every single show that we've done there, you've come out and sponsored and supported us, and we so appreciate it. You know, I grew up listening to Troy Public Radio. I grew up down the road, as you know, in Alexander City, Alabama. And you're my hometown station, <laughs> and I love it so much. And actually met Kyle at the radio conference. I turned around and saw his badge and was like, oh, my goodness, and was so excited. <laughs> and we connected. But, yeah, those shows at Alabama Shakespeare meant so much to me. Alabama Shakespeare launched when I was in, like, late high school. And so one of the reasons I wanted to get a car was to drive to Montgomery and see plays at Alabama Shakespeare. So when we got to do the moth there, it was truly a dream come true. And of course, the moth is actually on the cutting edge of new things, one of which is the podcast with new stories released every Tuesday and Troy Public Radio's podcasting, too. Yeah. Would a podcast be in your personal future? I think there is one. <laughs> you know, I'm not quite ready to tell the whole idea yet because it's just a little baby idea. You know, it's like all the ingredients are there, but you will be the first to hear when I get anything ready to announce. But I can tell you that for the podcast, it's something that it's not quite something the moth would do, but it's very moth adjacent and it taps right into my Alabama roots, my Southern roots. It's going to play into the values of my mother in my family. And so it'll be something that hopefully will feel a little bit mothy, as we like to say, 
but also I'll be a little bit more personal and maybe on a personal level, digging deeper into me, my story, and you know who I am and how I was raised. Cannot wait till we see what happens with that. We know the moth has been in book form. How about yourself? You have talked with so many people all over the world. Are you thinking about becoming an author yourself? I am. I've always said that I wanted to write a memoir, and I thought I could do it while working at the moth. This is a very big job, <laughs> and I've just started to realize it's never going to happen if I don't give myself some space. I got a few magazine articles published over the course of the pandemic when we were all at home, <laughs> and I had so much fun doing it. And so I would like to write a book in part just how helping over 500 people tell their stories has changed me as a person. You're a big fan of theater. Are you planning anything in that direction? Well, I certainly am. Two things I've managed to accomplish besides the moth during this time is I directed two off-Broadway one-man shows, and I had such a wonderful time doing it. Both of them opened up at the Public Theater here in New York, and my hope is to do more of that, like to take what I've been doing in this short form, these 10, 12-minute stories, and work a little bit longer with a handful of people on longer shows, like between like 45 minutes and maybe even 75 minutes. There's lots and lots of one-person shows happening now in New York, partly just because theater struggles, it's less expensive, and it's really interesting to just dig into the life of one person. And again, like I find it really hard to do that on the side while working full-time at the Moth and also raising my young son, but I'm hoping to put a lot more energy into that. It's not like we invented one-person shows even in our lifetime, but I think there's probably a more modern, new way to do it, and I'm going to try to start experimenting and see what we can do. You've done some public speaking. Will you have time to continue those? I certainly hope so. I love doing public speaking. I sometimes give keynote addresses to corporations. I did one for NASA. <laughs> I just did one at a radio conference in Prague. And I really love standing up in front of a crowd and talking about storytelling, you know, where I can play clips from stories and talk through how we do it, teach people how to do it a little bit better, but in a way that's hopefully entertaining. And my hope is right away to go out and start doing it. I actually already have my first gig two weeks after I'm done here. So, Catherine, your third act is going to be very full. I can tell that. <laughs> I hope so. From your mouth to God's ears, as we say. And I'm so excited that your new podcast, whenever we get the word, yes, will tie into Alabama. That is such a gift back to your home state. Oh, well, you know, I always have one foot there in my heart. One of these days, I'm threatening to buy a house and move back. So we'll see. <laughs> Get my kid out of high school first. <laughs> well, Catherine, is there anything else you want to tell your tri-state listeners here at Troy Public Radio? Yes, I would like to thank them for their support of the Moth Radio Hour and for coming out in droves every time we do Alabama Shakespeare and supporting that wonderful institution. And also thank all of you listeners who support Troy Public Radio. It is so important public radio. It is just one of my favorite things in the world. And I just appreciate so much all the people who make it possible for you guys to keep broadcasting. And we certainly appreciate you and your 21 and a half years <laughs> with the Moth Radio Hour. Thank you so much for joining us by Skype from New York, Catherine. Thank you so much for having me. Catherine Burns is the outgoing artistic director of the Moth Radio Hour. And she'll be accomplishing other great things soon when she promises to come back and tell us about here on In Focus. We're always excited to share interesting stories and introduce you to more fascinating people here on In Focus. 
In fact, you can tune into our show on the radio most weekdays on Troy Public Radio or sign up for our podcast and hear all our shows on demand. As always, I'm Carolyn Hutchison, thanking you for joining us and wishing you a great weekend. This is Troy Public Radio.